everybody. You can all have a seat. Pastor Jeff's, I no, he hasn't left yet, but he's about to leave for New York City. There's about 16 feet of snow up there right now, so he's going to have a blast. There's a ton of snow up there. It's going to be good. He's going to have a great time. So pray, please pray for uh, him and, and Cindy as they go up there to, to have some fun. Uh, enjoy the time up there. New York City is beautiful during Christmas if you've never been up there for Christmas. Uh, and then to spend some time with uh, Pastor Simbola. That is fabulous. And no doubt he's coming back with uh, just on fire for Jesus. It's going to be really good. So we're looking forward to that. wanted to spend a, a little bit of time with you all tonight. Uh, if you've never had the opportunity to uh, hear me speak or, or teach, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. Uh, my, my heart is always on discipleship. That, that is, I mean, that's, that's the goal of the gospel, is to make disciples. That's what Jesus said, go and make disciples. And one of the things that I've learned over the years as, as a Christian is what happens sometimes is we get a lot of information, but we don't get a lot of understanding. And in that, we, we don't get context. We don't have the ability to apply that knowledge to our everyday life. And we end up in a, in a situation where our lives are compartmentalized, if you will. You know, we have our Christian life or our church life, and then we have our work life or our regular life or all those things. And none of them seem to cross. And the things we learn in church, you know, they're great. They're great theology, great doctrine. But sometimes it just doesn't seem to apply Monday morning when we go to work. Like, how do I actually make this connection? How, how does this make a difference on Tuesday afternoon when I've got deadlines or, you know, my kids and all this other stuff? So one of the things that I've learned to do over the years and, and, and passionate about just for myself and for others is to create a, an understanding within the context of application. Because uh, that's really what discipleship is about. Discipleship is not how much you know. It's about how much you can obey. It doesn't matter how much you know. And we can know all the stuff in the world. I went to seminary. I met a lot of people who know a lot of stuff that didn't do jack. <laughs> and it didn't do them any good. We're, we're not going to be given a written test when we get to heaven. God's not going to say, how much theology do you know? How much doctrine do you know? He's going to look at us and, number one, say, do you know Jesus? But then, did you live the life for which I created you? And that's a big difference between knowing doctrine and theology. Now, of course, I'm not against doctrine and theology. Doctrine and theology is important. I'm director of Bible College here. We teach doctrine and theology all day long. However, there's a place for it. But it can't replace the goal of the gospel, which is to transform us into the image of Christ. And it's that transformation process is what discipleship is all about. So tonight I want to talk about something called breaking the cycle. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why in the world did I do all those stupid things I've done in my life. You ever ask yourself that question? I have. <laughs> Why 
why in the world did I do that? I remember the first time somebody actually articulated that question in that way. It was at a Celebrate Recovery meeting. I had never been to Celebrate Recovery. A friend of mine invited me to go to a CR meeting, had no idea what it was. And, you know, if if you're familiar with Celebrate Recovery, that's usually how you get to Celebrate Recovery. You don't know where you're going to Celebrate Recovery. (laughs) You don't know what it's all about, and you think you're there for your friend. Can you just come and support me? Oh, yeah, absolutely, sure, no problem. And, you know, next thing you know, you're on the floor weeping your eyes out because, dang it, it's me. So anyways, so I went to this meeting, and I listened to somebody give their testimony. And in their testimony, they said, you know, when I went through this program, I wanted to know why in the world did I do all those stupid things I did in my life? I thought, wow, that's a great question. (laughs) I want to know that answer. And this particular person said, I went through the CR program, and I discovered the answer to that. I went, what? There's, there's actually an answer to that question? And I w- it, that was the first thing that really hooked me in. I thought, what? I've never, I've heard people say, you know, why do I do all those dumb things? But I've never heard anybody say, I found out why. And I thought, wow. I wonder if I could find out why. <laughs> what if I could find out why I'm doing all these dumb things. Not just what I've done, but why do I keep doing them? Why do they keep hanging around? You know, at that point, I was a Christian for probably 13 years, almost, 12, 12 and a half. And I'm still asking questions, 12, you know, 12 years into my Christianity, why am I still doing these dumb things? I know I'm not supposed to do them. You know, Paul talks about that in Romans 7, and we're going to talk about that. Why do I keep doing this stuff? So that hooked me in. I'm like, all right, you got me. You got me. I'm sold. I'll come back. So I went back, and I kept going back. And eventually, you know, it's funny how the Lord works. He, you know, it's sort of like the, the old illustration of the frog in the boiling water. You know, he doesn't throw you in the, in, the, in the hot water. He just lets you sit there, and eventually he turns the heat up. <laughs> so as I got into the Celebrate Recovery program, the Lord started turning the heat up, and he started revealing stuff. In my life. See, this is what a lot of people don't like about discipleship is the front end of discipleship is a lot of revelation. And it's not theological revelation, it's personal revelation, where the Lord starts revealing the answer to that question why? We want to know the answer, but we really don't. Because it's not an intellectual answer. It's an identity answer. It's not about why, it's about who. And a lot of us don't want to answer that question, who am I? Because in that same testimony, this particular speaker said, you know, I wanted to know why I did all those stupid things, but I also wanted to know if that's not who I am, who am I? And I thought, okay, you had me at, you had me at why the first time, Now you definitely got me, because I want to know that answer, too. Who am I? Am I really the person who does the stupid things, or am I really the person who does, you know, the right things? Which one am I? And we have this constant tension between the two, trying to get the answer of who am I? 
Well, it, it hooked me in. I started going in and started going to the meetings, and eventually I decided to do what's called a step study. It's the in-depth process of Celebrate Recovery. Because at that point in my life, uh, I had been a Christian for about 12 and a half years, uh, but for a total of 25 years, for another 12 and a half before that, I had, uh, I had an addiction to pornography and never wanted to admit that. So when I finally got into a group and, you know, the Lord finally turned the heat up and said, okay, it's time right now, let's go. I got into the step study part, and I remember sitting down with my sponsor the, for the first time. I'm like, all right, so how does this work? You know, I, nobody had ever taught me about accountability and all this other stuff. So I'm sitting down with my, my sponsor and, you know, kind of sharing all my stuff. And he said, well, he said, first of all, I want to begin by saying, number one, you know, pornography is not your problem. I'm like, what? what? I thought it was a problem. <laughs> And he said, well, yeah, I mean, pornography is a problem, but it's not the real problem. I'm like, uh, what does that mean? He said, you're living your life in a cycle, but you don't even realize it. Everything in your life is going around in a cycle. And in this cycle, you can't get out. And porn is just one of the, the, the symptoms that you're in this cycle. All right, I'm going to have to trust you on this one because I don't know what I'm doing. But he said, not only do you want to know the question, why are you doing these dumb things? We need to find the question, why did you start in the first place? What is the why? What is the reason? There's something that triggered this at some point in your life that started you in this cycle. He said, we need to figure out what that is. Okay, how do you do that? He said, I have no idea. If you don't know, I certainly don't know. How's this going to work? He said, here's how it's going to work. He said, over the next 10 to 12 months, we're going to meet once a week. And at some point during that time, as we go through this curriculum, the Lord's going to reveal to you why. And when he does, you're going to know it, and then I'm going to know it. And then I'll tell you the, what the why is. I thought, um, okay, <laughs> I don't know about that, but fine. Sure enough, like four to five months into it, I will never forget it. I'm sitting there, and I'm just going through the curriculum. There's a very st structured curriculum in Celebrate Recovery. Going through answering the questions, and these are some serious questions. And I'll never forget, I, answer, I literally, it came out of my mouth, and I answered a question, and I just stopped. And I couldn't believe what I was staring at. And he looked at me and said, you just found out why. Yeah, I did. First question was answered. Why was I doing all those stupid things? And a later on, the other question was eventually answered. Who am I? But tonight, I want to focus on that first question. I want to focus on why in the context of the cycle. Because believe it or not, this is true about everybody. Because everybody is under sin. We were born in sin. And ultimately, sin is the core, but that's the theology behind it. We need to discover the practical aspect and the application specific to you. Now, we don't have 10 to 12 months tonight, so. But I can give you the basics behind this that can help you begin to discover the why to help you get out of your cycle. Because I, 
I would venture tonight, someone in here, or maybe more than one, is thinking right now, yeah, there's stuff in my life that I need to get rid of. I don't know how to get out of it. And it just keeps coming around over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. You're in it. And even if you are a Christian, we're going to talk about why you're still in it as a Christian. We'll talk about that tonight. Because just because you're a Christian, God doesn't wave a magic wand and your life is magically fixed. It doesn't work that way. It is a process. It always has been and always will be. And that process is designed to teach you the two whys. Why you did and not why you are, but who you are. 2 Corinthians 2.11, at the end of that verse, uh, this is, if you're familiar with this part of uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now, the his in there is the devil. The context of this is the, the Corinthian church had a member who was in sin, would not repent, and this is in 1 Corinthians, and Paul tells him to excommunicate the member because he refused to repent. So they excommunicate him, he repents, and then Paul says, okay, that's enough, let's bring him back in. And at the end of that verse, Paul says, hey, we need to forgive and we need to bring him back in because we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Now, of course, he's talking about it in the context of forgiveness and restoration, but there's a bigger context as far as the schemes of the enemy. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us today are ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. I was for a very long time. I didn't understand how the enemy worked. I didn't understand how the enemy deceived. And I didn't understand how the enemy was keeping me in my cycle that I didn't even know I was in. You know, football teams study the schemes of their opponent in order to find ways to win. I don't know if somebody's told the Cowboys that lately, but <laughs> they watch tape, they watch film, they, they try and figure out the defensive schemes, the offensive schemes to come up with a weakness that they can exploit to get to victory. Well, in the spiritual world, the enemy has schemes, and Paul mentions that here in this verse. The great thing about the enemy is he's only got one playbook. There's only one. And his playbook is revealed throughout the word of God. If we will learn the schemes of the enemy, we'll discover how to defeat him. Because in the revelation of his schemes is the revelation of victory. Now, ultimately, Jesus is our victory. That's where it begins. Okay? But we also have a part in walking that out. Because the enemy is a deceiver. And if we believe those deceptions, we forget that we already won. We forget that we have the victory. And then we end up acting like victims instead of victors. Because the only thing the enemy can do is deceive us into making dumb decisions. And apparently we've all already admitted, yeah, we've been doing that at some point in our lives. So we need to know the schemes of the enemy. Here's the interesting thing about the schemes. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, 
the specific things that the enemy may use may be different between you and somebody else or whatever, but it's the scheme itself that is common. The enemy uses the same playbook. The way he uses it or the context of it may be different. But the playbook is exactly the same. Such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, sometimes, you know, we'll say that Jesus will provide a doorway of escape in, in the temptation. One of the things I think we make a mistake in, in looking at that perspective when we say, you know, God will make a, a way of escape, a, a doorway of escape, is we look externally first. But Jesus said, I am the door. The first escape is not external, it's internal. It's not out there somewhere. It's already in here. The doorway is Jesus. So with that context, I want to look at a way of escape out of this cycle of sin. But in order to get the escape, we've got to understand the cycle, how we got in it, and how it traps us. So I want to look at that tonight in order to break the cycle. That's the goal, is to break the cycle of sin in our lives. Because Jesus has already given us the victory. And if that's true, we should be walking in victory. But as we've all said, you know, there's stuff that we just don't have victory over yet. And we need that victory. So tonight, let's look at, number one, where this cycle begins. And then how in the world do we break this cycle? Now, if you've ever seen me before uh, teach, you know what I'm about to put on this piece of paper. I don't teach in circles, but I do draw circles. All right, these three circles, if you've never seen this before, these three circles represent the three parts uh, of us. All of us have three parts, okay? We have a body, and that's pretty obvious. Everybody knows what that is, okay? We also have a soul. Now, when I talk about the soul, what I'm talking about is that, that spiritual part of us that is the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's us. It's our personality. It's who we are. This is not me. I'm on the inside. You know, when, when Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord, okay? What's present with the Lord? It's the spiritual side of us. It's our soul. It's our spirit that's present with the Lord. Because obviously our body's not. Not yet. It will be one day. But today, absent from the body, present with the Lord. This is the part, the soul, and then ultimately in the center is the spirit. Now, as I said earlier, we're all born under sin. All of us, if you're born on earth at least. Anybody here not born on earth? All right, just checking. If you're born on earth, we're all born with a spiritually genetic disease that the Bible calls sin. And it's at our core. We're born spiritually dead. That means we have absolutely no way to comprehend or understand anything of the spiritual realm. If God did not reveal himself that, A, he even exists, we would not even know that. Because we have no capacity to understand anything spiritual. Paul says the natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit 
for they are foolishness to him. And he also says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe so that they cannot see the glorious light of Jesus Christ in the gospel. So not only are we dead to sin, the enemy has blinded us to the realities of the truth, which is always spiritual. So that sin that is at our core, what it does is it infects our soul. It infects the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. Okay, that's that sin sickness. If, if, if I shake somebody's hand and they have the flu, which is going on around by now, right now, and I touch my eye or my mouth or whatever, and I infect my body, I become sick. That's what sin has done. It has sickened our soul. It has distorted the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. This is why we cannot trust our own perspectives, our own thoughts, our own feelings, or our own desires because they're infected by sin. That's why we need some sort of objective standard. One of the deceptions of the enemy in this world today is to destroy an objective standard because without an objective standard, everything becomes relative. It's just, uh, this is just how I feel. My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and we're all just happy. No, we're not, and that's not true. There is an objective standard. Number one is God. God is the objective standard. And he has revealed an objective standard through the word of God, the Bible. We have to have an objective standard by which we are able to judge because we can't judge ourselves because we are looking through a distorted lens. It's, it's like a fish in a fishbowl. When a fish looks out through the water in the fishbowl, he, he or she, whatever, sees a distorted reality of what's outside that fishbowl. Because if you've ever been underwater and you look out through the water, everything looks distorted. But to the fish, the fish does not know that that is not reality. To the fish, that's what reality looks like. The fish needs somebody on the outside to tell them what reality is. Somebody who's not in the water. Well, we're in the water, so to speak, of sin. We need somebody to tell us what is real outside the water of sin because everything we see is distorted by the water of sin. God is on the outside of the water of sin. And he looks in and tells us through revelation. The number one revelation is the word of God. He reveals to us the truth of reality. That is an objective standard. That's why the Bible is so important because we cannot understand the things in and of ourselves of what is real, of what is true, of what is right and just and moral because everything we think, feel, or do is distorted by sin. Now, this distortion then leads to action and it's this action that we traditionally call sin. You know, for me, pornography or whatever. That's what we traditionally call sin. But actually, that's more of a symptom than it is the source. You know, if, if I go to the doctor and I've got a cough, 
and the doctor does x-rays and says, well, yeah, you do have a cough, and I could give you cough medicine, but your cough is caused by lung cancer. Your cough medicine is not going to do me any good. The doctor's goal at that point is not to get rid of my cough. The doctor's goal is to get rid of the lung cancer. God's goal in our life is not to get rid of the symptom. God's goal is to get rid of the source. And in our lives, we tend to focus here instead of here. We want to get rid of this, which, you know, is perfectly understandable. But the problem is, when we only focus here, we tend to use not some spiritual truth, we tend to use willpower to overcome sin. But the problem is, willpower has no power over sin. If it did, we wouldn't need Jesus. This is why somebody who is not a Christian cannot overcome sin. It's impossible. Because the only power we have is willpower. And willpower has no power over sin. So we have to be careful when we're evangelizing the world that we're not inadvertently telling them, clean up your act and Jesus will love you. We have to be very careful. That is a false gospel. It is not clean up your act and Jesus will love you. It's Jesus loves you and he will clean up your act. When the woman who was caught in adultery was thrown before Jesus' feet, you know, Jesus started writing on the ground and everybody left, all that stuff, and everybody wants to focus, what was he writing? Interesting thing that happened at the very end of that is everybody's gone. He looks up, looks at the woman and said, hey, is there nobody here to condemn you? She said, no. And then Jesus says something to her that's very interesting. And it's not just what he says, but it's the order in which he says it that is really interesting and it's really important. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The only way somebody can walk in freedom over sin is to remove the judgment of God on their life. It's not the other way around. You cannot get rid of sin in order to get, to get rid of the judgment. It's the opposite. This is why the law does not work. We have to be very careful we're not evangelizing people with law and saying, fix yourself and God will love you. That is a false gospel. It's Jesus loves you. He will forgive you. And then he will help you become better. He will be, help you become the person he created you to be. And this is what Christianity is all about. And this is what the gospel is all about. Because this is not the problem. This is the problem. For somebody who's not a Christian, that's the problem. We can focus on this all day long and ain't going to fix anything. Until this is fixed. This is the problem. So, how does the gospel work? What's the gospel all about? We have to understand the gospel in order to understand how we're going to break the cycle. Because remember, victory is not something we earn. It's not something that, some scheme we have to come up with. Victory is all in Jesus. We sing it all the time. Victory in, it's always in Jesus. It always begins and ends with Jesus. But unless we understand the very nature of the gospel, we'll end up trying to do it ourselves. 
So we have to make sure we don't have a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. How do we break the cycle? We begin by understanding the gospel. You know, we're great at wanting to evangelize the world, but sometimes we need to stand in the mirror and evangelize the person looking back at us. When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? Because a lot of us have a fundamental misunderstanding of what the gospel is. See, the gospel is not about going to heaven one day. Do we get to go to heaven one day? Yeah, we get to go to heaven one day. But that's not the goal of the gospel. God is not interested in populating heaven. He can do that anytime he wants. He's got, I don't know, countless angels that are populating heaven. That's not God's goal. God's goal is to restore the relationship he intended to have with you when he created you in the first place. That's the goal of the gospel. It's not about going to heaven one day. We go to heaven one day because that's where he lives. And that's where he, and that's, that's just to be with God. But the goal is the relationship. That's the goal. So how does God do this? Well, we still have our three circles. The body, the soul, of course, the soul being the mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, here's what happens with the gospel. In the other illustration, at the center was sin. Okay, we're all born that way. We're all born with sin. That's spiritually genetic disease. Here's, what's, here's what happens with the gospel. Here's some theology. Theologians call the gospel the great exchange. Because there's an exchange that takes place. Here's the exchange. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus exchanges his righteousness for our sin. He says, if you will accept this free gift of salvation, I will take your sin. That's what the cross is all about. I will take your sin and I will give you my righteousness. So when we accept Jesus in the gospel, that sin is now replaced with righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is now the truth. What's true about me? I am righteous in Jesus' name. And it had nothing to do with anything I did. The second I said yes, I became righteous. When Jesus said to the fishermen, come follow me and I will make you to become. He didn't say, I'm going to make you go do something. In Christianity, especially in the church, a lot of times we want to focus on what am I supposed to do? It's not about who you're, what you're supposed to do. It's about who you're supposed to become. Because when you become the person God created you to be, you naturally do the things God wants you to do. It's an inside out, not an outside in. It's a big difference. Doing what God wants you to do does not make you become who he wants you to become. Becoming who God created you to be naturally causes you to do the things God wants you to do. That's the order. It has to go that way. So we have 
this transformation in our spirit. Now, here's the thing about the spirit. The spirit in you right now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, has been completely redeemed. On the day Jesus returns, he will not need to transform your spirit. Paul says on that day of days, we will be transformed in a twinkling of an eye. Immortality or mortality will put on immortality. Imperfection, perfection. But our spirit is already there. It's already done. This is why we can commune with the Holy Spirit directly. Peter tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. The Holy Spirit literally dwells within us. There is this union between the Holy Spirit and our spirit. And we've been made spiritually alive for the very first time. The only way we can understand anything uh, of spiritual truth is not because we have great intellect. It's because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to us. Anytime you understand anything in in the Word of God, it's not because you're like, oh, wow, I finally understood it. No, it's the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. It's the only way you can understand it. I don't care if you're a member of Mensa. I don't care if you're president of Mensa. You're not smart enough to understand spiritual things. You can have an IQ of 10 bazillion. You're still not smart enough to understand spiritual things. Because the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. They have to be revealed. You know, Paul says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, all the great things that God has prepared for us, for those who love him. Now, a lot of people stop there. But the chapter doesn't stop there. It goes on, because the next verse says, He has revealed them to us by His Spirit. All things spiritual come through a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you sit down and you read your Bible and you get some spiritual truth out of it, that is an encounter with God, because God just revealed something to you. It's the only way that can happen. So, we have this new righteousness in our spirit. Now, I can hear the thoughts right now. You're thinking, well, that's great, but I don't feel righteous. I'm not acting righteous. So what's the problem? Well, here's the problem. This is still true. Remember earlier I said, if I shake somebody's hand and I get the flu virus on my hand and I touch my eye or my nose or whatever and I infect my body, I've been infected with sickness. I have this 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 flu sickness in me. We used this earlier in the sense of we have this sin sickness, okay? So if I infect myself and then I go wash my hands and I remove the source of the infection, I still got to deal with the infection, okay? Jesus removes the source of the infection, but we still have to deal with the infection because our soul is still infected with that sin sickness. And this is why, as a Christian, we've still got this. And this is why, for 12 and a half years of my Christian life, I could not figure out why I couldn't walk out of pornography. Or whatever it is, doesn't matter. If you got some of this going on, it's because you got this. It is not a commentary on this. Big difference. See, in Christianity, a lot of times we, we focus on this 
as a commentary on our identity. And that is just not the truth. Because when we ask the question, who am I, the first thing we look at is this. When the reality is the first thing we should look at is this. Who am I? I am righteous in his sight. I am a child of God. I have been forgiven. I have been washed clean. I am healed, saved, and delivered in Jesus' name. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of judgment, of sin, and of righteousness. When was the last time you allowed the Holy Spirit to convict you of your righteousness? When was the last time that happened? You look at yourself in the mirror and go, Ooh, man, that is one righteous son of a gun right there. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, no. <laughs> you look at it and go, yeah, boy, what? Uh, why did I do that stupid? What in the world? I'm a loser. You know who's telling you that? The enemy. The enemy. He's the one telling you that. So here's our condition, okay? Here's the discipleship process. It's getting this into here. Because the truth will always overcome a lie. Because ultimately, those little X's, all those are lies. That's what sin is. Sin is a lie. It's a lie you believe about yourself, about God, about others. It's a lie. It's what it is. Jesus said the enemy is a liar and the father of lies. That's all he does is lie. Because that's what sin ultimately is. It's a lie. It is not the truth. And the truth always overcomes a lie, just like light always overcomes darkness. Light is not the absence of darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Big difference. We turn all the lights off in this room, and then I turn on a flashlight. The light does not struggle against the darkness. The darkness flees from the light. In this situation here, Lies do not overcome the truth. Truth does not struggle to overcome a lie. In the presence of truth, a lie has to flee. That's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we believe the lie that he has more power than we do. That he's the winner and we're the loser. And that's a lie. See, the only power the enemy has over us is to deceive us. That's why he's called the great deceiver. He uses the lie to make us believe we're a victim. And then he gets us to act on that victim mentality. And that's when we fall. He didn't do anything. He just deceived us. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have the authority to do anything other than deceive us. And then we have the choice of believing the truth or a lie. And when we believe the lie, we end up in a cycle. So let's begin to talk about the cycle. So this aspect here, this is what discipleship is all about. It's not about how much you know. One of the lies the enemy tells us is, you know, you're just not smart enough to understand doctrine and theology. 
you just go to church, you listen to Pastor Jeff, you know, do your nice little devotions, but you're just a reader. Don't read your Bible because you can't understand it anyways. So why bother? You know, just do the religious thing and you'll be fine. That is a lie. You know why the enemy's trying to keep you out of the word? Because he knows if the word gets in you, it keeps him out. But we believe the lie, and we don't get in the word. And then we give the enemy ground, and we end up making these dumb decisions over and over and over again, and we get in this cycle. So that's how we got to where we are. So let's talk about the cycle. So earlier I said, you know, the enemy has a, has a single playbook, and it's revealed in the word of God. And I want to show you that tonight. I want to show you one of the schemes of how the enemy works, how he deceives, and how he gets us into this cycle. And it all begins with the very first deception in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we read of the enemy's first scheme and, and, and means of getting somebody into the cycle. So if you've got your Bibles or you can read it on the screen, it's Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. So let me read this to you real quick. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So here's the first deception. It's the, it's the very first scheme. But the scheme the enemy uses with Adam and Eve is the exact same one he's using with us. So I want to show you that scheme and show you how it's working in your life and how it leads us into that cycle of sin. So here, here we have, you know, we've got Adam and Eve and the enemy comes to Eve. Now, the enemy tells her two lies. So, again, the enemy's always lying. He tells her two lies. He tells her a, an explicit lie, but he also tells her an implicit lie. And both of them are just as dangerous. And I would venture to, to say the implicit lie is more dangerous than the explicit lie. But they're both just as dangerous. So here are the lies. First of all, you know, she says, hey, if we eat of this, we're going to die. So the enemy, number one, says, you surely will not die. Okay, obviously that's explicit. God said you will die. And the enemy's saying you won't die. Okay, so that's the explicit lie. But here's the implicit lie. And this is the real, this one to me is even more dangerous because it's so deceiving. And the enemy does this all the time. He implies things without saying them and allows us to fill in the blanks. Here's the implicit lie. He says, for God knows in the day of e you eat of it, you will become 
like God. What does that imply? That they're not like God. But what does it say about them in Genesis 1 and 2? That they were created in God's image. So here the enemy comes and implies, hey, you're just, you're not like God. You're just not good enough. You're not like God. You need something else to make you better. You need something external to make you better. So in this case, it was the fruit. Now, for whatever reason, the fruit has traditionally been viewed as an apple. We don't know what it was. You know, it was probably some giant exotic fruit up there in the garden. Who knows? But for now, it's going to be the apples. And the poor apple's got a bad rap. But nonetheless, so forgive the drawing. There's an apple. There we go. Okay. So the enemy... Tells Eve a lie. Okay? And here's what this lie does. This lie created a false need. That's what that says, false need, if you can't read it. That's really what the fruit represented, a false need. The enemy does this to us all the time. He creates in us and tells us a lie that creates a false need that we need to go act on. I'm not good enough, so I need to go do something to prove I'm better. This person doesn't like me, so I need to go prove that I'm better than them. That person cut me off because they think I'm a jerk, so I'm going to go get that son of a gun. You know, if you're driving here on the, you know, how that goes. He tells us a lie that creates a false need. I'm a loser. I don't feel good, but alcohol, that'll make me feel better. And it creates this need that is external to us. And it's really important to understand the enemy always wants us to seek externally because he knows the answer is internal. He always wants our, our focus outward, not inward. Because we're always looking out there for the answer. The reality is it's already in here. It's in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus has already put in us through the power of the gospel everything we need to live the full Christian life. It's not out there, it's in here. It's already in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we believe the lie... We think it's external. So, again, as I said, the enemy can't make us do anything. He can just deceive us into doing something. And that's what he does, is he creates this lie that causes a false need, and that lie and false need eventually leads to action. And that's what we usually call sin. That action always has consequences. And those consequences always involve guilt, shame, and condemnation. When the Lord went looking for Adam and Eve and they said, hey, where'd you go? We hid for we were ashamed for we knew we were naked. 
we were ashamed. For the very first time, Adam and Eve felt guilt, shame, and condemnation. What guilt, shame, and condemnation do is they reinforce the original lie. And ultimately, the core of every lie the enemy tells you is you're not good enough. You aren't worthy. You're a loser. That's the core of every lie. And guilt, shame, and condemnation will always reinforce that lie, that you're not good enough. Because now all of a sudden you feel, you know, boy, what a loser I am. Look what I did. And that lie is now reinforced. And when that lie gets reinforced, you know what it does? It just reinforces the false need. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, we have the lie, the false need, the action, the guilt, shame, and condemnation, and we end up in a cycle. Ultimately, our entire life begins to be lived around the mountain of a lie. Instead of the truth of the gospel, we live around the mountain of a lie. It's just like the Israelites going around and around in the wilderness for 40 years. They're just going around and around, round and around she goes, where she stops, nobody knows. And this is where the vast majority of Christians are in their lives. It's not a commentary on their salvation, it's a commentary on their identity, on who they think they are. This becomes the identity instead of the gospel. And when you believe that you're a loser, you act in a way that either, one, you try and overcome that through your own ability, or you inadvertently or subconsciously sabotage any attempt to get out of that cycle. And, you know, especially when things start going well, you end up doing something stupid. And you sabotage yourself because you just can't believe that you're worthy of anything other than this. You're stuck. And you just go round and round and round and round. Every now and then, you see other Christians or you hear messages or you hear testimonies of, you know, people living in hope. You know, and hope is something out there, something external to me. It's something I don't have. And you come to the conclusion that either A, this is a lie, and you believe this is a lie and this is the truth, or you just believe I'm just not good enough for this. I'm just, I'm not worthy of a good life. I'm not worthy of whatever that is. And we settle for this. And that's where I was. Over 10 years ago when I sat in that office with my sponsor. He said, you're living your life in a cycle. That's where it was. And I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know what to do. And he said, we need to figure out why. We need to figure out what the lie was that got you into this in the first place. And that was that revelation that day. Sitting on that chair, talking with my sponsor, answering these questions, 
And I remember, I remember the, the, I don't remember what the question was, but I remember the answer. And the answer was, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was very, very, uh, I was a highly motivated kid. Very optimistic, um, maybe too optimistic. But there were two instances in my life where in sixth grade, my, uh, my parents had moved, so we went to a new school. And that first, and in my first year in that school was sixth grade, and I decided, man, I'm an optimistic kid. I want to make friends. I'm going to run for class president. Well, I had a bunch of people tell me, whatever, that's dumb. You're going to lose. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to win. And I got crushed. And then a couple years later, I decided, you know what? That didn't go that well, but I'm still optimistic. So, you know, I'm, I'm in junior high school, but I'm going to try out for uh, the high school musical. Not that I could sing, but that's beside the point. And I was, once again, I was told, now, you're not going to make it. You're, you're, why would you even try? And I didn't make it. And after those two instances, and this is in the answer, this, as I'm giving this answer, I said, you know, those two things told me two things about myself. Number one, I'll never be good enough. And number two, I'm not smart enough to know what to do. I need to rely on other people. So now my identity is wrapped up in I'm not good enough. No matter what I do, I'll never be good enough. And number two, other people know better than me. I can't trust myself. And in that, I began this cycle. And through that cycle, I became very introverted. Uh, boy, man, I used to beat the daylights out of myself uh, just mentally and emotionally. And, you know, part of the, the whole aspect of the pornography was it created this false sense of intimacy with people that I thought I was not worthy of, but at least I could get it somewhere. I just wasn't good enough. And that's, that was part of that. But it had nothing to do with the pornography. It had everything to do with the lie I believed myself. I'm not good enough, and everybody else knows better than me. So I can't trust my own judgments. So on that day, I sat there staring at my sponsor, and he looked at me and went, mm, you just, you figured out what it was. I said, yeah, dang it, I did. Now, how did that happen? How in the world? And, you know, you could look at those things and go, boy, that was dumb. I was looking for some great revelation or some, you know, mm -mm. It has nothing to do with what the incident was, the experience was. You know, it wasn't some traumatic thing. I wasn't abused or anything like that. And those things certainly can create those lies, absolutely. But it doesn't have to be that. Because it's not the experience or the event. It's the lie you believe. That's what it is. And all of us, to one degree or another, right now, believe a lie about ourselves, about God, about reality, about other people. And... For some of us, that lie has become a mountain, and we're just living, and we're just going around and round and round, and we can't get out of it. And we're sitting here today going, why am I doing all these dumb things? 
Why am I doing that? Because you're, you're in the wilderness, just like the Israelites. You know, it, took, it only took uh, a couple weeks for God to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. And that's the discipleship process, is God is trying to get Egypt out of you. What is Egypt? It's the lie. It's the lie that the enemy has planted within you. So this is how the cycle begins. It all starts with sin. The real answer, you know, we always say the Sunday school answer, Jesus is the answer. Hell, he really is the answer. This is the answer. It's the gospel. It's an understanding that the gospel is not about going to heaven. It's about becoming somebody brand new. But until we realize that that is the truth, and we believe a lie, it's going to lead us to take action. That, that action is going to lead to guilt, shame, and condemnation, which will reinforce that original lie. And then we end up living in the cycle. So that's how we get in it. Next week, we'll talk about how to get out of it. Yeah, a little cliffhanger. You're going to have to come back next week and fight more traffic. So let's stand. Let's stand. It will be worth it. So I hope tonight you have a greater understanding of uh, one of the schemes of the enemy. We talked about the scheme, okay? Here's the scheme. He lies to you, creates a false need. That false need causes you to take action, and that action always comes back with guilt, shame, and condemnation. That scheme hasn't changed since the beginning. He's got one playbook, and now we know the scheme. So what we need to figure out is what is the play, where is the weakness in that scheme to overcome the cycle? And there is a weakness. There is a way to break out of it. And Jesus has told us how to do that. And we're going to talk about that next week. And it's not what you think. It ain't willpower. It ain't willpower. It's Jesus' power. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just, we just thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for the revelation of the truth of the Word of God that teaches us, Lord, what is real, what is true. And, Lord, it gives us the wisdom we need to walk in the freedom we already have in Jesus. So, Lord, tonight I thank you that every person in this room who knows, knows Jesus is already free in Jesus' name. They are righteous in your sight. They are whole, they are complete, they are healed, saved, and delivered in Jesus' name. So, Lord, tonight I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them a deeper revelation of that truth in their life, Lord, that would not just apply in this room, Lord, it would apply in every single area of their life, Lord, from, from Monday morning to Sunday night, every area would be impacted by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. So, Lord, tonight, I thank you, Lord, that you're just beginning to break this cycle with each and every person who's here and every person that has watched and will hear this message. And, Lord, we just pray right now that they would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit telling them they're and Lord, we just thank you right now in advance 
for the freedom they will walk in, for the victory they will walk in over the enemy, over the lie. And Lord, we thank you that every person who hears this message will break the cycle in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight.